Please be seated. This is our 30th and final lesson on 1 Peter. I am sure all those many months ago when I told you that we were going to, we were going to be looking at 1 Peter and you flipped over there and you saw, well, it's just five little chapters. This won't take long. I fooled you, didn't I? But, uh, and Betty, uh, Betty Miller said that, uh, for the 30 weeks that we've been doing First Peter, she's read First Peter every day. So seven times 30 comes out to about 210, if my math is even close to being correct. So 210 times that she's read First Peter since we began. I haven't read First Peter that much. Uh, and I don't know about you, but, I'm sure that she has gotten a lot from it, and I've gotten a lot from our study as well. Peter's, we've been looking at this and started very early talking about this little letter being kind of Peter's travel guide to foreigners in the world. We'll get to that more in a minute, but the idea being that that this world is not our home. We are aliens, we are strangers, we are travelers, we are foreigners in this world. And so how are we to get through this world? How are we to get through in this life? Peter wrote to those who had been called out of their former lives. Now, some of these would have been Jews. And they had been called out of the, of the self-righteous, judgmental attitude of the old law. Now, not that the old law was self-righteous and judgmental. It was that the interpretation that they had placed on it was self-righteous and judgmental. And so through the gospel, they had been called out of that way of thinking into the message of the gospel. Now, there were also a bunch of Gentiles who had been called out of their way of life. They were totally foreign, in a sense, to God, at least Jehovah God. They had their own gods. They had a very, many of them had a very wicked and a very immoral lifestyle. It was just part of their culture. It was part of their society. And in fact, in some cases, it was part of their religion. And now they had been called out. And it was kind of like, whoa, how do we live now that we've been called out from the world? But Peter was also writing a group of people who had already been experiencing some persecution because of their faith. And unfortunately, what Peter had to tell them was not necessarily good news as far as that went. He says, not only are you undergoing persecution now, but there's more to come. And it's going to be even more intense than what you are experiencing now. And so it was written for those folks in that particular time. But it was written for us as well. You see, all of us have been called out from the world around us. All of us have been called by God, whether a dramatic lifestyle change like the Gentiles, whether you come from a a, a background where where you didn't know God, you didn't believe in God, you didn't follow God, and, and you lived a very worldly lifestyle, and through the gospel you've been called out. Or rather like the Jews who knew God, knew about God. We were raised in the church. We came to church knowing about God. Our parents taught us about God. But there had to come a point in time in our lives 
where we made that decision on our own that we were going to follow him and dedicate our lives to him. And we too are seeing an intensifying persecution because of our faith. We've seen it over the last couple decades where we have moved from a society and from a nation that was God-oriented and was based on godly principles to a place and time in our world, in our society, in our country, where religion is no longer considered admirable, but instead is actually made fun of. And certain Christian principles and practices are being discouraged and even maybe harsher than that. And it could be, as Peter warned his readers, it could be that the worst is yet to come. That that uh, persecution may even intensify as the years go on. I hope and pray not. But like Peter's readers, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And so with this in mind, with all the struggles that his readers were facing from the temptation and the pull of the world, with all the struggles they were facing from the persecution and the persecution that was to come, what kind of encouragement would Peter give his readers to us and to you this morning? Now, normally, when I make my outline and when I do this, I I normally talk in first-person plural. I think I got that right. If not, I'm sure somebody will correct me. But I normally talk about we and us. But this morning, I want to talk about you. Because I want to make it individual. And I don't mean to talk about you in the sense that I'm not talking about me. Okay? I'm talking about you and me, but I want to make it very personal. Because I think as Peter writes here, he tries to make it very personal. And, the, and this is, you know, a review, essentially, of what we've studied. But one of the first things that Peter tells us that will help us get through the difficult times and what we have to face is God chose you. I want you to think about that for just a second. I want you to let that sink in. That almighty God chose you. It does say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But I believe if you were the only sinner in the world, God would have sent his son for you. God chose you in Christ over and over again. There's that, that, that idea of the elect and the chosen and the predestined. And it's always qualified, almost always qualified with that little prepositional phrase in Christ. How did he choose us? I don't believe that God went around and said, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. See how I worked that out? I don't believe that that is how God chose or selected. But he chose us in Christ through the message of the gospel and our response to the gospel. We are chosen by God. 
He loved you enough to send his son to be the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb, and to redeem us to himself. In chapter 1 and verse 1, it starts off Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying spirit, work of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. In chapter 2 and verse 4, he writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And then in chapter verse two, uh, chapter two and verse nine, he writes, but you are a chosen people. And in chapter two, 11 and 12, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Well, actually, that's the next one. So we'll stop there. But I want you to think about the idea that no matter who you are, where you sit this morning, as Norman would used to say. No matter what your background, no matter what you have done in your life, bad, good, whatever, that if you are in Christ, God has chosen you. You are God's elect. He predestined from before the world was even created that those who are in Christ would be saved. And this is not a begrudgingly, a begrudging choosing. It's not like back in the day of elementary school when we were choosing upside for kickball. And some of you may have never had this experience. I never did either, but we'll pretend, okay? That when we were choosing upsides, I was always the first one picked, but we'll pretend that I wasn't. As we're choosing up sides and it comes down and you're the last one. Okay, we'll take him. Never happened to me. God did not choose us that way. God did not say, oh, well, these people, I don't know if I really want to do this or not. No, it was God's joy. It was God's whole purpose. The whole story that we did. Remember that? The whole point was God's desire to redeem mankind to himself. And he chose you. He chose me. Secondly, Peter reminds us that God chose you to be holy. Holy, we've talked about before, means to be set apart and dedicated to. In the Old Testament, it would often talk about the devoted things. They were to be used in the temple or to God's glory. They weren't supposed to be for public consumption or use. The spoils of Jericho were the devoted things. The people were not allowed to have them. Those were God's special items. We are God's special 
items. We are his devoted things. We have not just been called out from the world, but we have been called in to God's glory. We've been called in to his servants service. We have been called to be holy. We have been called to be different. We've been called to set apart, to be set apart by the lives that I li- we live. In chapter 1, in verse 2, he says, Who, having been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, of the Spirit for obedience to Christ and sprinkling by his blood. We've not just been called out. We've not just been chosen, but we have been chosen for something. We have been chosen for obedience to Christ. In chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You get the idea, and we'll see a few more of these. You get the idea that when God chooses us, he chooses us to be different. He chooses us to be holy. He chooses us for a purpose. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he writes, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of all kinds. In chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then chapter 2 and verse 9, again, he says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. And then in verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God On the day he visits us. And then in chapter 4 and verse 3 he says. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies. Carousing and detestable idolatry. Yes, God says we are to be different. We are to act different from the world around us. We are to speak different. We are to love different. We are to forgive different. He has called us to be holy. He has chosen us to be holy. Thirdly, we saw and we've seen in our study of 1 Peter that God chose you to be self-controlled. How are we going to make it in an evil and wicked and sinful society. How are we going to make it in this, in this world? 
How are we going to be able to get past the temptation and all the things that are out there that the world, that Satan is using the world to try to draw us into? How are we going to do that? By being self-controlled. And I've told you my take on that. Then when I read self-controlled in scripture, I don't see it so much as self-controlled as we use self-control. But I think self-controlled in scripture has more to do with God-controlled. Remember when we were looking at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5... Those of you, I think we did that on, a, on Sunday nights, but, but I was, uh, I, I was going to start with, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We're going to take each one of those, you know, because that's just the preacher way to do it, just the way it ought to be done. And then I started reading the verses above that and the verses below that and realized that in that whole context, Paul is talking about being led by the Spirit. Being spirit controlled, being spirit driven, walking in step with the spirit. In other words, allowing God to control us in the literal sense of self-controlled. I will be a failure. I will be a failure in the literal sense of self-controlled. But with God in control, with God's strength. With God's help, with your help, I can be self-controlled. I can abstain from those things that I should not be engaged in and do the things that I ought to do. In chapter 1 and verse 13, he writes, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. And I think Peter is saying, these things are coming. These things are coming. You need to prepare your mind. You need to get mentally ready for it so that it doesn't shock you, so that you're not stunned when this persecution comes or when these temptations come or when the trials come. Prepare your minds. We do that, don't we? When we have a big event coming up or something that we got to do we prepare our minds i see athletes you know uh, almost doesn't matter what sport it is but but when they're getting ready for their sport now at least nowadays you know they got their little earbuds on and they're listening to their get up and go music whatever it happens to be and and they're psyching themselves out and they're getting ready they're preparing their minds to to go into this competition And Peter is saying you need to prepare your minds and be self-controlled for what is about to happen. And then again in chapter 4 and verse 7, he writes, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Not only do we need to prepare our minds, and maybe one of the ways we prepare our minds is to clear our minds. Of all those things that don't matter, of the things that aren't important, and that we work on making our priority being with God and serving Him. And so by doing that, we can be self-controlled. And then in chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, 
Be self-controlled and alert. Prepare your mind and be alert. Those things kind of say the same thing. Be self-controlled and alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may or seeking someone he may devour. And we talked about this when we looked at that. But we need to be self-controlled. We need to be alert. We need to be aware. We need to be ready. Protecting ourselves from temptation. Protecting ourselves from sin does not come by accident. It comes from purposeful determination in our lives. I'm going to determine. I'm going to make sure that I do not sin. I'm going to make sure that I stay away from those things that are going, that I know are weaknesses to me, that I know are going to be tempting to me. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. I'm going to be self-controlled and alert. It's a choice that I believe we make. And through God's strength, we can overcome those things in our lives. Fourthly, Peter reminds us that God chose you for glory. God did not simply choose us or choose us simply to make us servants. Now, this reminds me, and we talked about this, the story of the prodigal son. You remember, you know, the son squandered all of his father's wealth or his inheritance, and he found himself in the pig sty, eating the pig food and all of that. And it says he came to himself, and he realized that even his father's servants had it better than that. And so I'm going to go back, he says, and I'm going to fall at the mercy of my father and say, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. Can I just be your servant? And you know what? I don't know about you. But I would be satisfied. I would be okay. With just being God's servant in heaven. That'd be all right with me. Considering the alternative. That would be okay with me. And just like the sun, that would be what, well, we wouldn't even deserve that, would we? I started to say that'd be what we deserve, but we wouldn't even deserve that. The son really didn't even deserve to come back as a servant for what he had done. But God did not save us. God did not choose us. Just to be lowly servants. But instead he chose us and has given us what we could never expect or deserve. In chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance That can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. And then again, in chapter 1 and verse 8. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. And you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then again in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then in chapter 5, 10 and 11. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. God did not call us to be servants. Paul puts elsewhere that we have been called to be joint heirs with Christ. What? As the kids would say. Well, maybe they would. I don't know. Joint heirs with Christ. You mean to tell me. That my inheritance. My airship. H-E-I-R. Ship. Is the same as Jesus? Some of you are worried about that, aren't you? Look it up. It's what it says. We are joint heirs with Christ. Not sub-heirs. Not lower heirs. But joint heirs with Christ. Everything that is the Son's is ours. Servants? Not hardly. Not hardly. God has not called us to be servants. Now, you understand he's called us to be servants. You you understand me, right? But he's not called us to be servant in that sense. He's called us to glory. He's called us to be home with him in heaven. He's called to us that eternal inheritance that will never fade or spoil away. And yes, John talks about the street of gold and the gates of pearl and the walls of Jasper and all those things. But he also talks about no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death and no more pain and no more crying. And he also talks about being in the very presence of God at the throne of God forever and ever. Wow. God did that for me? Yes, he did. And God has done that for you. He chose you for glory, not just for servitude. Fifthly, God chose you to be a stranger. Hasn't that been our theme? That's been our theme. That we are in a foreign land. That we are strangers, aliens, travelers, pilgrims, foreigners. And it was a helpful reminder to his readers. Because when you are a stranger, when you are a foreigner, when you are an alien, you can expect certain reactions from the society around you, right? 
You go off and you visit a foreign country, they will laugh at you. It may be they will laugh at you if it's an English-speaking country, you know, like New England. If it's an English-speaking country, they will laugh at your accent. If it's a non-English country, they will laugh at your English. They will laugh at your traditions. They will laugh at your clothes. They will laugh. They will, they, you know, you, you know, you can I remember going to England. They sort of speak English over there. And they made fun of me. They said I had an accent. <laughs> Have they heard themselves? They know they're the ones with the accent. He even knew not only, he not only knew the guy I was talking, not only knew that I was from the States, he knew I was from one of the Southern States. And when I said Texas, he said, I could have guessed that. (laughs) But we just kind of expect that. And Peter is trying to forewarn his readers to expect the same thing. In chapter 1 and verse 1, again, he says, To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia. And then again in chapter, let me get my notes here. Chapter 1 and verse 17, he writes, Since you called on a father who judged each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here, In reverent fear. And then in chapter 2 and verse 11. Dear friends I urge you. As aliens. And strangers in the world. To abstain from sinful desires. Which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. That they'll see your good deeds. And they'll glorify your God. The Jews were used to this. The Jews were used to the idea of being strangers. Abraham was a sojourner, a pilgrim in the land of Canaan. That land was promised to him, but it wasn't happening yet. He was a stranger there. Joseph did great things for Egypt. The Pharaoh loved him. And the Pharaoh said, bring your family down here. It'll be great to have them. And then, generations later, there came a Pharaoh who knew nothing about Joseph. And wondered to himself, what are all these aliens doing in my land? And he preceded or began to have harsh treatment on them. The Israelites were taken captive to Babylonia. The Israelites were then, at the time that we're talking about, Israelites were under Roman rule. And many of them had been scattered and they were living as outcasts in the communities in which they lived. God has called us to stick out. Ah, I don't like, I don't like to be put on the spot. You know, I don't like a whole lot of attention, you know, and you may be thinking, look what you do for a living. You stand up in front of all, you know, that's, that's different. But I don't like unwanted attention. I don't like to be, to be Pointed out. I don't like to be different. Really. But God says you are supposed to be different. You are to stand out. We are not on a covert mission. 
We're not here to try and blend in. We are not here to try and assimilate into the culture and into society. We are here to stick out. God calls us to be different in the way that we act, in the way that we live. We are to be strangers just passing through on our way to where our true citizenship is. We shouldn't be planting roots here. Have you ever thought of that? We should not be planting roots here. We're strangers. We're foreigners. We're travelers. We're pilgrims. Our citizenship is in heaven, not here. And God has called us to be different. And lastly, you were thinking, how many points could there be? It took us 30 weeks, so you know. And lastly, God chose you to stand firm. Through it all, we are called to stand firm. We looked at a couple weeks ago, 8 and 9 of chapter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Jesus never promised us it would be easy. In fact, he tried to prepare his disciples. We are foreigners We are aliens and foreigners and aliens always endure ridicule and persecution. Look at the history of our own nation. Those immigrants who have come here, of course, unless you're Native American, you're part of an immigration of some kind or another. But in the late 1800s and early 1900s, when the Irish came in bulk, they were ridiculed and persecuted. When the Italians came in bulk, they were ridiculed and persecuted. When the Chinese came to build the railroad, they were ridiculed and persecuted. And Peter is reminding us, we're aliens, we're strangers. And if we're living our lives like we ought to be, we're going to be ridiculed and we're going to be persecuted. But we are going to stand firm. We will be strong. And through God's almighty hand, we will remain steadfast and we will help each other along the way. 30 lessons, maybe too much. I don't know. But what an encouragement and a comfort Peter brings to us throughout this little letter. And if we had to boil it all down, and I could only use one phrase to boil all of 1 Peter down, the one thing that I would want you to remember, the one thing that I would want me to remember, it would be this. God chose you. God chose you. And all that goes with that. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, that choosing comes in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you've never placed your faith in him, repented, confessed of your sins and been baptized into Christ. Then he's chosen you, but he can't give you all the things that he wants to.
until you come to him. If there's some other way we can encourage you, we invite you to come down to stand and we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.